So we're really glad that you're here today. Um, I'm glad to be able to speak to you today. I really appreciate Jim's prayer. I appreciate when the elders pray um, that uh, God would lead me as I speak to you and I'd be filled with your sp- his spirit um, because honestly, I never have anything to say of value uh, if God isn't leading. And so it's my prayer that uh, these words will touch your heart. And I'd encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles to chapter 25 of Matthew. And there's a Bible app event for this. If you have a smartphone with the Version Bible app and you... Uh, go into the menu and look for an event, you're going to find these uh, words uh, there and also some uh, other scripture texts highlighted there as well. We have been talking about resilience and uh, more specifically, we're talking about some tools that God gives us in order to help us to come back when we get knocked down, to stand back up, to empower us to be resilient. And so far we've talked about spiritual companionship, having Christian friends to help you along and spiritual mentoring. We talked about that. If you have Christian friends, then chances are you'll be more resilient than if you don't have Christian friends. And uh, if you have a Christian, a few Christian mentors, people to guide you in your Christian faith, then chances are um, when troubles come into your life, even if they bump you and knock you over, you'll be able to stand back up. You will be resilient. God gives us a lot of different tools uh, for resilience that, that he puts at our disposal for us to use. Today, I want to talk to you about something you might not have considered to be a tool given to you by God, and that is a tool of personal responsibility. And I want to say to you that God gives you the ability to make choices. I I want to suggest that although the world may want to tell you you're a victim, that you cannot change, and although really the enemy of your soul, Satan, would like to tell you that you're unable to live the life that God would have you to live. You just can't do it. You might as well give up. Satan would tell you that, even though you yourself may have maybe fallen into the trap of adopting a pessimistic and fatalistic outlook toward your own life, I want to say to you that God actually gives you the power to take responsibility for your life. He gives you that. And you can behave responsibly. You can can be resilient when you do that. Now, Jesus, when he spoke, he often used parables, um, stories with life lessons embedded within them, And today we're going to look at one of those parables. It's historically, it's called the parable of the talent. Um, It's been kind of updated in in name to be the parable of the bags of gold. That just isn't near as smooth as the parable of the talents, is it? But it's a little more clear if you understand it that way. So here in Matthew 25, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. And so I'll ask you to follow along uh, in the Bible if you would. Jesus says again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his own ability. That's an important phrase, according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put the money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Okay, that's behaving responsibly. They took what God gave them, what their master gave them, and they used it in a profitable way. Look at verse 18. It says, But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Hid his master's money. Sounds like he's avoiding some responsibility there. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, 
I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Isn't that a great story? Just warms your heart and everything's good, right? Oh, wait, there's more to the story. Uh, Look at verse 24. Then the man who had received the one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. That's a problem. He was given a trust, and he didn't carry it through. He allowed his fear, maybe fear of failure, to cause him to act irresponsibly with what was given to him. And the parable really goes from bad to worse. As you continue reading in verse 26, it says, the master replied, you wicked, wow, the language here is strong. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and I gather where I haven't scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one that has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Wow, those are hard words. But the hardest words are at the very end. Listen to how Jesus ends this parable in verse 30. He says, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I just want to say there's not a lot of bouncing back from that. It's really hard to be resilient when you've been thrown outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In fact, that's where resilience meets its end. And I would like to avoid things like that. I want to avoid the end of resilience in my own life. And so I want to act responsibly. I want to talk to you about acting responsibly. I want to talk to you just about some basics of it. Often when we're trying to understand something, it's helpful to think about, well, what's the opposite of it? And you know, the opposite of responsibility is irresponsibility. So irresponsibility would be recklessness. It would be carelessness. It would be thoughtlessness and foolishness and impulsiveness and negligence. And that can be a really small thing. For example, not putting the milk back in the refrigerator at night so that in the morning it's spoiled. That's an irresponsible thing to do, but it's pretty small, right? Irresponsibility can be a really big thing as well. I was talking to someone who told me that they were, I can't remember if they were in Missouri or Oklahoma, and she said to me, you're not gonna believe this, I was there in a restaurant, like a Cracker Barrel or something, and there was someone sitting in the the booth there, and when when the party got up to leave, this woman who was sitting there, I noticed she left something behind, and I wanna say, oh, she left her wallet, she left her purse, she left her gun. Yeah. How do you do that, right? That's incredibly irresponsible, especially in today's society, is it not? So responsibility, it can be irresponsibility. It can be a pretty small thing, but it can be a pretty big thing as well. Here's the irony about irresponsibility. Nobody values it. Nobody says, boy, you know, the kind of guy that I want my daughter to marry when she grows up is a guy who's really thoroughly irresponsible. Nobody values that. The irony is, though, even though we don't value it, everyone behaves irresponsibly from time to time. All of us leave the water run sometimes, or we delay changing our oil sometimes, or we wait to file our taxes until the very last minute. We tend to be irresponsible. And when we are irresponsible, we put ourselves at a disadvantage. We put ourselves behind the eight ball. How are we going to do that? 
Responsibility is something that we, we value. And when we don't value it, resilience, bouncing back, becomes very difficult. Something else you need to understand about responsibility is that God has made you responsible. He's made you response-able. And so those are two different words. And so you can take responsibility for your life and for the trajectory of your life. You can stop blaming your parents. Well, if my parents had it, then I'd be, you can quit that. You can quit blaming the media. Yeah, well, the media, you know, they mess it. You can quit that. You can stop blaming the school system. You can stop blaming your fourth grade teacher. You can stop blaming management. You can stop blaming labor. You can stop blaming your heritage. You can stop blaming the way people treat those of your heritage. You can stop blaming your church. You can stop blaming your family. And as long as you continue to blame others for the trajectory of your life and refuse to take responsibility in redirecting it, then the outcome of your life is in their hands, not yours. But God has made you response-able. He has made you able to choose and take control of your life, no matter what your circumstances. The first time I really came to terms with this was when I read the story of Viktor Frankl. I've told you this story in pieces before. I want to give you more details today. There's Frankl's picture on the screen. He looks like a real nerd, doesn't he? He looks like maybe he's a physicist or something. He's actually a psychologist. Frankl was of the Freudian persuasion. Sigmund Freud had the idea that whatever happens to you in your childhood, even in your infancy, and through those first few years, Freud says that largely determines the trajectory of your life. And they call that Freudian determinism. In other words, your life path is determined by what happens when you're a kid. And Viktor Frankl believed that. He bought into that. He felt like people really have no choice how to respond to the circumstances around them because they're just kids when those things happen. And it's kind of fatalistic. And then Frankl was arrested and placed in a Nazi death camp. There in the Nazi death camp, he and other Jews experienced, well, you know what they experienced, right? Things that are abhorrent. Frankl watched his parents being taken into the ovens. He watched his brothers being taken into the ovens and not coming out. He watched his wife, the same thing. Every day he wondered when he got up that morning, will I go into the ovens or will I shovel the ashes today? What will be my life? Pretty bad situation to be in. One day, Frankel writes, he was alone, he was naked, he was hurting, he was hungry, and he discovered a freedom in the middle of all that. It was a freedom that he said no one could take away from him. Not even his tormentors could take this from him. These Nazi guards in this Nazi death camp, they can control my surroundings. They can poke me and prod me and hurt me and beat me and everything else, but they cannot control how I respond to that stimulus. They don't have that right to control that. I have the right to decide whether I will respond with hatred or with love. I have the right, said Frankel, to decide, am I going to respond with bitterness and anger or with kindness? I have the freedom, he said, to decide if I'm going to respond with despair and resignation or if I will hope. I am response-able. 
And he says that gap of time and space between any given stimulus poked upon him by those tormentors and his response, how he responds to that, that instant of time and space, he says that is the last of human freedoms. And no one can take that from you. You get to choose how you respond because you are response-able. Now I want to tell you, I'm going to take Frankel's picture off there. Because every time I hear that story, I feel ashamed. (laughs) You know why, right? Every time I think of that story, I think, if Frankel can be response-able in a death camp, surely I can be response-able in my life. I mean, surely I should be able to because I have not been given the cup that he was made to drink. I haven't experienced that at all. Probably because God knows my limitations. Probably. In fact, in the parable we read today, it would seem that Jesus took into account the servant's abilities. Do you remember the phrase, each according to his ability? Because God knows the limitations. The master gave five bags of gold to the guy that could handle five bags of gold. He gave two bags of gold to the guy who could handle two bags of gold. He gave one bag of gold to the guy who could handle one bag of gold. Jesus is showing us that that which God makes you responsible for is something you can handle because he knows what you're able to do. He knows your ability. He knows his servants well and he gives them exactly what they can manage, keeping in mind their own personal response ability. That third guy, He could have managed the one. I mean, it would have been completely unfair and out of character for Jesus to tell the story like he did if the guy couldn't have done with the one bag of gold. But he could. He was given it according to his ability, Jesus says. And he said, I don't want that responsibility. I don't want to deal with this obligation. I'm going to bury it in the ground. And that's what he did. And when you do that, when you say, I will not take responsibility for this, it's someone else's fault, and I'm not going to deal with it, you damage your own self. (laughs) Avoiding responsibility diminishes your resilience. But embracing responsibility changes everything. It changes everything. I I don't even like to read the end of the parable, you know, where it says that worthless servant throw him outside into darkness, weeping, gnashing teeth. There's no bouncing back from that. There's no resilience there. Uh, Avoiding responsibility, though, that's where it puts you in a place where resilience is stifled even smothered. But, (laughs) but, when you behave responsibly, your responsibility increases. Listen to that sentence again. When you begin to behave responsibly, your ability to respond well, it blossoms. It increases. That's why I'm suggesting that personal responsibility is a gift from God that he gives you so that you can be more resilient. Because when you exercise that gift, you become stronger and that gift makes you more resilient. And I'm not the first person who saw this. I was Googling around about this concept this week and I found a guy, he's a Supreme Court justice about 100 years ago in the United States of America. His name is Louis Brandeis. And he says this sentence, responsibility is the great developer. Here's what he's saying that when you have a responsibility and you carry out that responsibility responsibly, it changes you. It transforms you. It builds your character. It gives you strength and you find yourself better able to carry out responsibility 
in other areas of life. So for example, if you behave with responsibility regarding your spending, you begin to handle that and you're a better steward of it, you're doing the budgeting thing, you're tithing, you've cut up a couple credit cards and you're really being careful to honor God with that money, all of a sudden you'll realize, you know what, I'm, I could probably do this with my schedule. You begin to budget your time better and you find yourself spending less time in social media and more time doing things that are actually constructive. Because you were responsible in one area, it actually developed you so that you can be responsible in this area of your schedule. And then as you're doing well with your schedule and you're not running late for everything and you're not just swamped by everything, then all of a sudden you realize, you know what, I could probably do this in my relationships. You begin to draw some significant boundaries. Like that person, it's not good for you. You're able to say, you know what, I don't think I can get together with you right now. And that person, it is good for you and helps build you up in the faith. You can say, hey, how'd you like to you know, get together and whatever? Because as you begin to behave responsibly in one area, it develops something inside of you that helps you become responsible in other areas. And all of this is a gift from God. All of that is a gift from God. When you behave responsibly, you choose not to become a victim. You hear that all the time, right? I will not be a victim. Good. How? How are you going to manage that? How are you not going to be a a victim? (laughs) By accepting personal responsibility. And yet, accepting personal responsibility is something we, (laughs) we resist. And as we resist that, we multiply the victimness. It's not a word, but pretend it is. We multiply the victimness of our life. I read some crazy stories about people avoiding responsibility this week. I'm sure you've heard stories like this. I read one, this is a decade or so ago, there was an FBI agent who decided he would, uh, he wanted some money because he wanted to go to Atlantic City and do some gambling, and so he embezzled some money from the FBI. Bad idea, bad idea. $2,000, took it to Atlantic City and gambled, second bad idea, and naturally he lost it. And then he got busted for it, and then he got fired for that. The FBI says, you steal money from us? You're fired. He took him to court. <laughs> you know what his idea was? I have a disease. It's an illness. This is an illness. You can't fire me for having an illness. No, no, it can't happen that way. Listen, when you begin to do that, when you say, I have a disease, and you have to give me a special, special dispensation here, you're losing power. You're giving power to someone else, and you're losing personal power that God's given to you as a gift. Here's a second example. There was a guy, he worked... Uh, for Parks and Recreation Department in the Midwest. And um, he was always showing up late. You know that guy, right? Like, you're supposed to be here at 7. He was always there at 7.30. Always showing up late. And he said, that's not my fault. And he was fired. And they said, he said, you can't fire me. And here, you might want to write this down. He said, you can't fire me. I have chronic lateness syndrome. How about that one, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I like that, yeah. So he sued them. You can't fire me. This is, a, this is an illness I have. When you do that, when you say, I'm not responsible for this, you begin to lose any kind of power in other areas of your life. And this is nothing new, by the way. This predilection that humans have to avoid responsibility and accountability dates back to the Garden of Eden, and you know that it does, that when God said to Adam, have you eaten of the tree I commanded you not to eat from, Adam replies, and man, you've got to admire how quick he thinks on his feet, Right? Uh, this woman that that you gave to me, what's he doing? Avoiding responsibility. And Adam becomes a victim of his own devices, banished from Eden. There are tons of examples of this. Here's what they have in common. 
When you yield responsibility for your life to someone else, you give them the power and you lose resilience in the process. You, hear it, I'm going to say it loud. You have to take responsibility for the trajectory of your life. And God has given you that as a gift. He's given it to you. And when you take responsibility, you actually gain power. I'm going to give you an example from Scripture. I'm not going to ask you to read the story. I'm going to kind of tell it to you and read a couple verses from it. There was a, a person in the Bible who messed up royally, which is fitting because he was a king. Whatever they do is royal, right? By the way, was there a wedding this week? Didn't even notice. So there was this guy in the Bible, he was a king, and he messed up royally. His name was David. David happened to be out on top of his castle, walking along on the roof of his castle, and he looks down, and there was a good-looking woman down there, and she was bathing, and David said, some of that. I want, I want her. And, and the rest of the story is he breaks several commandments. He commits adultery. Uh, additionally, he has her husband killed, murder. So he, he's done some pretty bad things. But here's what I want you to see. When David is confronted by that sin, I want you to see how he responds, okay? Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and, and very creatively shows him his sin. And David, David is, is probably speechless. Nathan says these words. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. So how does David respond to that? I mean, I know what I might be tempted to do. I might be tempted to say, but, but you know, I was just out on my roof. She's the one who, she should have been covered. What is she doing out there? She, she knew it's her fault. And by the way, I've heard people suggest that. That's ridiculous. Not even David, who has every reason in the world to try to avoid this, this blame that is upon him, not even he suggests that. Do you know what David says immediately after that? I have sinned against the Lord. That's how a man takes responsibility for his life. That's how someone responsible owns up to what they have done. That's verse 13a. Verse 13b, the very next part of that verse says, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But there was bad stuff going to happen. And David felt that bad stuff. His sin with Bathsheba cost him dearly. It knocked him down, not just to his knees, but as you read the passage, you see three verses later, David is actually lying on the ground in the dirt. He is down. It flattened him. But in verse 20, you read these words. Then David got up from the ground. That's resilience. After he had washed, he put lotions on and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house. And at his request, they served him food and he ate. How do you do that? How do you be resilient like that? By taking responsibility for your life and the trajectory of your life. Being responsible changes everything and you can become more responsible. And you might say, oh, yeah, I've heard, I'd like to be, but how does it happen, Pastor Steve? How? How can I be more responsible? It's like anything else, like sports, like music, 
like acting, like math, like teaching kids, like preaching, you become better at it by practicing. Just by practicing. Practicing good stewardship. Stewardship is actually what Jesus is speaking about in his passage, in his parable. He, he says this, these people were given something to take care of on behalf of someone else. So were you. So was I. We've been given life. We've been given finances. We've been given possessions. We've been given family. We've been given a voice. We've been given eyes and ears. We've been given hands and feet. How do we behave with them? How, how do we do it? And, and, and the answer is, you just practice doing the right thing over and over and over. And you become more responsible with your life. And you'll become more resilient as well. Uh, you need to choose how you will react to things. Charles Swindoll says that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. I think that's true. How do you respond to it? I want to say to you that resilience is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. You can't control the things that happen in your life. You can control how you act. You need to think before you act. The book of Proverbs says, all who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. So think before you act. You're thinking about getting even with someone? That's not responsible. You're thinking about being merciful instead? That's responsible. Think before you act. You're thinking of damaging something. Maybe you're going to slam a door, or you're going to punch a wall, or you're going to strike a person. That's irresponsible. You're thinking about maybe bringing healing and reconciliation. That's responsible. Think before you act. You're considering walking away, saying, I've had it with them, I've had it with her, I've had it with him, I'm done. That's probably not responsible. You're thinking about engaging in constructive communication to repair a relationship. That would be responsible. Think before you act. In doing so, you will create an environment of resilience where you'll be able to come back and handle struggles and handle knockdowns even better. Think before you act and think before you speak. I mean, how many times have, have you seen someone who's facing difficulty and they overreacted? And then they said, you know what? I could probably fix this except for the things I said. Because once I say those things, whew, they're gone. I can't get them back. And that's why James says all of us should be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry. Think before you do those things. Choosing how you react multiplies your resilience. Choose to change. I want to I say something to you that might sound unrelated. I, I really just, I never put this thought together until this week when I was preparing for this message. Let me see if this makes sense to you. Do you ever wonder why God seems so hung up on confession? Yeah, why do I have to confess my sins, God? He is hung up on confession. He knows my sins, though. Why do I have to confess them? Why do you want me to tell my sins? Why do you want me to say these things to you, God? You know them already, and you know my heart. You know all this stuff. Why do I need to confess my sins? And he's hung up on confession. I mean, he says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. So he wants confession there. He says in James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. So there he's asking for confession. He says it again in the book of Proverbs in 28, 13. He says, whoever conceals sin, they don't prosper, but the one who confesses, wow, that's different. How does openly admitting my failures do anything of value, especially when God already knows it? Let, let me suggest this to you. Confessing is coming clean about your sin. 
When you get it out in the open, (laughs) that's good, but that's not the only reason you do it. And when you admit it to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you, but you don't confess your sin just so you can get into heaven. We confess our sins, I believe, because finding forgiveness, we find a platform from which to change our lives. You cannot change something that you will not own. You cannot change something you won't admit is a problem. You cannot change something you will not take responsibility for. But when you confess your sin and say, God, I really messed up. That was so wrong. I can't believe I did that. Please forgive me for that. When you confess that sin, now you have hope. Hope that you'll be able to take responsibility for it and change. And when you change, you become more resilient so that when life wants to knock you down, when life wants to knock you down, you can get back up. This ability to choose, this ability to choose comes from the cross of Christ. You know, we talk about this thing called common grace, that the rain falls on a just and it falls on the unjust. And so everybody has the ability to change to some degree or another. Everyone has the ability to accept responsibility for the trajectory of their life to some degree or another degree. I don't believe that Viktor Frankl would have called himself a Christian in the Nazi death camp, and yet he had that ability to change how he responded. He (coughs) knew he was responsible. Everybody has that. But when you become a Christian... God changes you personally. He says that if you're in Christ, there's, the King James said, a new creature. Reminds me of the old creature feature black and white films, right? But actually, it's talking about a new person, a new creation. And Jesus says it's like being born all over again. And so as much as you might have been able to change the trajectory of your life by taking accountability for it before you met Christ, You can do so even more so now that you have met Christ. That you're a different person than you were before you opened your heart to Christ and found forgiveness of your sin and became a new person. But even better than that, the Bible says that when you open your heart to Christ, the Spirit of God came and lived inside of you. That you have within you the Spirit of the Most High God. And He can enable you to use this tool of accountability in ways that you could never have hoped to have used it apart from him. And you can look to him and you can say, Spirit of God, I am tired of blaming other people. Holy Spirit, I am sick of not taking responsibility. Stuff that happened in my life in the past, some of it was my fault, some of it wasn't, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to forget what lays behind and I am going to look ahead And I am going to move forward, taking responsibility by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me for the trajectory of my life. Because of the cross of Christ, you can do that. And I want to pray that you would do that. And that your life would be transformed because of it. So if you're comfortable doing so, I'm going to ask you to stand. And then I'd like to pray for you. Father in heaven, we are surrounded by a society that wants to blame others. We are surrounded by people who, with good intentions, want to say, 
oh honey, it's not your fault. And in many instances, it's not our fault, but it's our responsibility how we respond. Help us to see that. And help us to see that by your Holy Spirit, you give us the the ability to be response-able. I pray for individuals who are standing here right now who feel trapped. They feel trapped in addiction. They feel trapped in living trivial lives. They feel trapped in projecting a personality that isn't authentic. They feel trapped in going through the motions. And they feel like they can't change this, that this is kind of what life has handed them, and they just have to keep going on with them. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, I pray that that lie would be broken. And I pray that they would recognize that whatever they have experienced in life, they are able to respond in a way that is healthy to change the trajectory of their life, both now and forevermore. And that you, Holy Spirit, would cement that thought into their thinking so that they could move forward, living a life of resilience. This will only happen, only happen if they surrender, and it will only happen if you empower them. Holy Spirit, we surrender. Empower us through Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.